And I think of how he came so far from glory. Such as I to suffer shame and such disgrace on Mount Calvary take my place. Then I ask myself this question Who am I? bleed and die for who am I that he would pray not my will thine Lord the answer I may never know why He would go for who am I? When I'm reminded of his word, To an old rugged 
the cross, he would go for who am I? I'm really happy you're here, man. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, please. Exodus chapter 4, thank you. Exodus chapter 4 this morning, Exodus chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 1 to 9 today, blessing to be here, it's a blessing to be with these preachers, it's a blessing to preach with these preachers, Brother Tony preaching and of course Brother Bell preaching also, and I appreciate that, that's right, it's a triple threat, that's great, that's good, Exodus chapter 4, now it's 1123, we're supposed to go to lunch at noon, so go ahead and time it and pray that we get to lunch at noon. That's the last place you want to be is with a bunch of Baptists at lunch. Seriously, I, I think I'd rather be up next to the Antichrist than a bunch of Baptists next to lunch, but then, of course, he'd hang up. All right, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, would you stand with me this morning because we want to keep the Pharisees happy. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. The Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of thy fathers, of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto me. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand in thy bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. He said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now Moses is commissioned of God to go to tell the children of Israel and Pharaoh that the Israelites are about to go free and Pharaoh's got to turn them loose and get his slaves. And Moses is saying, well, I'm not sure I can do that. They won't believe me. They'll say, you didn't, you didn't send me. And God gives him three things to give proof that God is going to use him. Now, God's wanting Moses to know that God is going to use him. God wants the Israelites to know that Moses is being used of God. And God wants the Egyptians and Pharaoh to know that God is going to use this man. The subject this morning is quite simple, what it takes for God to use you. See, I would hope we would want to be obedient Christians. That's good. That's good. But then usually people who have that attitude, they obey until it's inconvenient or a difficulty or whatever. Then I would hope we'd want to be people who want to fulfill our role in life, what God has meant for us to be and to do. That'd be good. Oh, but I would hope that everybody from the youngest to the oldest in this room desires that God would use you, that, that God would use you to do something in your life. In the class one day at the college, a little statement I tell you, Tom Dale, I mentioned last night I'm not teaching there anymore, but it's only because I, I can't call it retiring, Brother Tony doesn't like that word. I, go, I was going to say I'm transitioning, but that sounds like I'm changing gender, so I can't do that. Progressing in my ministry. That was, that was, I'm staying a man. 
I was teaching at the college, and I, I'm not going to teach because, because my schedule's going to change. I don't know what I'll be doing these next few years as far as that's in God's hands. I can't commit to teach every Tuesday like I have for 27 years, drove 330,000 miles when I had my maintenance engine and all of that. But I was in the class one day, and I always hated being in sort of a mini class with a question. And this kid raised his hand. He goes, Brother Johnson, can I ask you this question? I go, go ahead. He goes, well, I don't want to ask a stupid question. I said, don't worry, son. If you do, I'll tell you. He goes, it doesn't do with the class. I just wanted to ask this question. How do you keep from being proud in your ministry? I just looked at him and I said, you're serious? He goes, well, yeah. And I go, huh. I said, okay, let me figure this out now. So we have a salvation that we don't deserve. That's a gift that we didn't pay for. That's secured by God who keeps us. That we have a Bible we didn't write, preaching a power that's not ours and a calling that's not our own. The people that don't even belong to us. So what's there to be proud about anyhow? It just amazes me that God uses me to do it. I'm sorry I haven't got used to it. I don't anticipate it. I don't feel, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing God a favor by serving him. But whenever a Christian gets the attitude of, well, you know, I do all this stuff around here. Hey, you think you're doing God a favor. He's doing you a favor by letting you do something for him. I would hope every God, every one of God's people have a desire to be used of God. Not just in the ministry, but in our marriages, our families, our lives, our communities, what we are, what we do, that God would be favoring our lives enough to reach down and say, you know what, I think I'll use them for this. I think I'll use them for that. I think I'll use them for this. Well, Moses is saying, well, Lord, I'm not so sure they're going to believe me. He, he doubts that God could use him. So he gives him three proofs that God can use him if he'll follow through on them. And I believe we can pattern them this morning. Father, bless now today, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, what are those three things? Well, he had to face the serpent. Then he had to see the cure of leprosy. And then he had to be willing to pour out water to seek blood. In order for that to happen, we must settle three things in our lives for God to use us. First of all, you have to face the serpent, verse 3 and 4. He says, and I want you to look at the passage now. I've heard many messages on this in different ways, but I'm not going to break any new ground like the preacher said. If it's new, it's not true. Every time these guys try to come up with something new, well, that's a brand new thing. I think you've got to be kidding me. You mean Brother Howes didn't think of that? Tom Malone never thought of that. Charles Spurgeon didn't think of that. But you, Spanky, you got something new out of that. Oh, my soul. But, but in the passage there, where in verse 2, the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? He said, A rod. That's his shepherd's staff that he carried. Verse 3, Cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses did what any smart person does. He takes off running. And God says, Take it by the tail. When he holds it by the tail, it turns back into a rod. Well, the serpent in the Bible, you know, is a type of Satan. But I was thinking about this, and I thought, what does that mean, though? It was something Moses had in his hand that he threw on the ground that became a serpent that God used him to turn back into that rod again in his life. And I thought, there's always something. That, you know, preachers, we're always looking for some truth, analogy, right? We see something, we think, hey, we had a really bad storm there in California years ago when I was a kid. We still have them. But uh, and it was wind and rain and howling. I stepped out the front door and I went to get something out on the porch and I looked up and there was a bird across the road, the street from me. There's a bird hanging by the wire upside down. Now you know what that means. He's dyslexic. But no, he, he he's hanging there and he was just kind of a little breeze blowing. He's kind of, I said, oh boy, something happened to him. That's like he died right there. But he's hanging onto this wire. He's hanging upside. So I went and got my kids because I'm the preacher. I go, come here, look at this kid. Look at that bird up there. And the breeze would blow like this. And then when the change went, he'd sort of slide down the wire this way and slide down the wire that way. I thought, wow, that's really something. So every morning I'd go out, I'd look for the bird and see where he was. And sometimes he'd be over there, sometimes he'd be over there. And after about a week and a half of that, you know, there was parts falling off of him. And he'd spin around in the breeze and feathers would come off of him and stuff like that. I'd take the kids out and go, let's go check the bird this morning. And we look out there and there he was. And about, you know, a couple weeks later, I look out, they're gone. I got my binoculars out. My neighbors thought I was creeping up 
up. I got my binoculars up, and I ain't preaching, I'm telling the truth. His little legs were hanging on those wires. Now let's live with his little old legs. And when the wind would blow, they'd go opposite directions. And then one would slide over this way, and another would slide over that, and they'd come back together. And as a preacher, I'm looking at it going, there's a sermon in there. Somewhere there's a sermon, and about that time the Holy Ghost said, just hang in there, baby, it'll be all right. And that's what I preached on. So when I was thinking about this rod and serpent thing, I thought, now there's got to be something here about that thing that Moses had in his hand that he threw on the ground, and God didn't give it to me, so I just thought I'd bring it up. But anyway, I was in homiletics class, taking homiletics class in Bible college. This is a boy from West Virginia. Said, I went home, preached in my home church this weekend, fellas. My preacher asked me to preach. So I got up there, opened my Bible, and all these years I heard my preacher say, I'm going to give you something God's fixing to give you. He said, fellas, I thought that's the way it worked. You just got up there, opened your Bible, and God gave you stuff. He goes, fellas, it don't work like that. <laughs> yeah. His pastor in the church runs a thousand now. Anyway, the point is, so what did that mean? Look at me. I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, what is the rod in Moses' hand? Well, that's his shepherd's staff. That's what he's leading with. And the serpent is a type of Satan. And so if God is going to use me, i got to deal with the serpent issue with the fact that Satan is going to try and go after what I lean on and depend on in my life. Because that's what he leaned on, that staff. understand something dear people there's times God's going to pull the props out of your life and there are times the devil's going to go after that that which we think is so certain in our life our health oh the thing most precious thing you have in your life is your health oh my goodness he'll take it and then we are perfectly sound and mind and body and health and life and the next thing you know the devil comes along he decides he's going to jab you a few times and do some things about what you lean on your finances, this virus thing that went through our country and made way too much of, and, and actually gutted our church, our lives, our ministries, and our, and our nation, and our economy with a bunch of idiot politicians who didn't know what to do with it, and that sort of thing, and that, that changed things. It changed things. Come on, 9-11, after 9-11, the old days where you just pulled up from the airport, get out of your car, went to the gate, got on an airplane, flew wherever it is you were going to go, your family would meet you at the gate. No, no, now they got to go through uh, uh, metal detectors and everything else, and that has changed things. It's always fascinating how things come along. Sometimes God pulls the rod out and changes things. Sometimes Satan comes after us, and he goes after what we lean on. Well, my friend, I love this expression. They'll always be there for me. They've always been there for me, and nobody always been there for you but God. Nobody. I'm telling you, I got a wonderful wife. She's amazing. Her only weakness is her taste in husbands. She's incredible. She's, but when I turned 40, I just, I, it was like, I, I'm not one of these weird kind of people, so bear with me. When I turned 40, I, I had a fog of depression just come on me like ugly on Oprah. I mean, I'm perfect. I'm a very content person in my life. It doesn't take much to, 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 to make me content in life. Grew up in a drunkard's home, believe me. I, any sign of happiness and joy, I'm good with that. But all of a sudden, the fog just kind of rolled in. It was weird. I just felt like, what? Yo, hey. I was just like. <laughs> and my wife noticed it. She goes, honey, what's up with you? I said, I don't know, babe. I don't know what's going on. I said, what did you do? I ran to the doctor, got medication, got shot treatments, went to a counselor. Stupid. How are you going to know when you're better if you do that kind of stuff? Huh? And those people just make it worse. So what you do? I do what I'm always supposed to do. I read my Bible. I prayed. I walked with God. I praised. I went to church. I went soul winning. Say, well, that's what we're always supposed to do. Yeah. Figure it out, man. Hey, listen to me. The answer is in being faithful and staying faithful to God. But it, and, but it lasted about a year. And my wife, she is the most patient person. Look, she's put up with me for 47 and a half years. She's a very patient lady. About three months into it, she looked at me and she goes, why don't you just get over it? <laughs> Boom. 
she said, I'm tired of seeing you like that. What's the matter with you? Just get over it. It is. You know what? It helped me. Some guy, you know, some guys would go to the bathroom and start throwing up over it. No, I'm not going to do that. I felt it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed in front. I'm embarrassing to my wife because I'm drive. I drive down the road, stick my head out the window like a cocker spaniel with my tongue hanging out because it felt good. I was weird. I mean, it was just weird stuff. See, what'd you do, Pastor Johnson? I just got through it. After a while, the fog lifted. Now, I was 40, now I'm 69. Now, if I kind of get a little off on something, she goes, you're not going crazy on me again. Oh, yes, no, I'm okay, babe. I'm all right. No problem. You know, it's amazing to me how sometimes the devil will come along and he'll take that rod and just, poop, turn it into something else. He'll pull that out, that support you think you have, just to mess with you, just to see if you really do need God. Because what did God say to fix the answer? The answer was take that serpent by the tail and pick it up and it turned back into a rod again. And now God says you use that and go on in your life. We can't stand around bemoaning things. I said this about three, two, three months ago in our church. I said, dear people, I love you. I'm your pastor, but I don't care about your feelings. There's people right now looking at me and go, that is the meanest man on this planet. No, I'm not. It's Phil Kidd. Phil Kidd's the meanest preacher I ever heard in my life. Without question. He's got a message about when the Jezebel was painted her face and tired her hair and they threw her off the tower and the horses stomped on her. He's got a message called, when Spot ate the Avon lady. I mean, you don't, you don't talk about me, bro. You're talking me now. Why did I tell my people about their feelings? Because I'm sick and tired of hearing about people's feelings all the time. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing that. It's just right. I'm not in touch with myself, my inner child. And I, I, I guy, I, I, don't, I can't, I'm not in touch with my feminine side. I ain't got one of those. Well, I'm just not in a good place. Get GPS. I mean, you're not in a good place. Of course you're in a good place. You're in the will of God. You're in a good place. So I told my people that. And some of them just looked at me like, he doesn't care. I said, I care about you. I don't care about your feelings. I don't want to hear about your feelings. I want to hear about how you're feeling about something. I want to hear about it. Let's get off the feelings thing. Let's knock it off. It's fascinating how people, if they're just not feeling good, their whole life is ruined. It's over. They can't deal with it. Come on, people, look at me. Look at me. If God is going to use you, you're going to have to deal with the fact that the devil is going to come after you and try to do something. He just is. That's just the way it works. When all live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. See, I, I'm kind of weird. I look at it this way. If the devil's not after me about something, I'm not doing right. We go to have revival meetings in our church. <laughs> Worst thing you can do is announce revival meetings. Prayer meetings, everything else. You know why? All Hades broke loose. Yeah, people get fussing with each other, problems come up, buses break down. Oh, we, we're, we're a church in California, but we got one Tesla in our parking lot, one, one. Uh, these guys down in the Bay Area, they got more Teslas than we got Toyotas. I mean, they got gone with it. We got one Tesla, one Tesla, one. And then cars you plug in the wall, Tesla, one. Who does our bus driver, one of our bus drivers hit? Whose car does he hit going out in the parking lot? Yeah, rip the back bumper off that little thing. One, I told the bus driver, couldn't you hit a Ford? I know it'd have been a fatality, but couldn't you hit a Ford? A Chevy, for goodness sakes, a Chrysler. You got to hit the only cotton-picking Tesla in our parking lot and rip the bumper. You call revival means the devil's going to come after you. Yeah, but oh, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God is going to use you, you're going to have to deal with the fact that the devil is going to come after you. Sometimes it'll be in the area of the rod. Sometimes it'll be in the area of opposition. Sometimes it'll be that people won't believe you. Sometimes people won't understand what you're doing. Sometimes people in your own family will say, well, I don't know what you're doing. What's this all about? What are you thinking about? Why are we standing around waiting for approval from man and the world? And, and why are we waiting for that? And why does it bother you that the world opposes you? See, I don't understand that. Well, Pastor Johnson, they say our church is a little strange. In our city, when you tell somebody you go to Shasta Baptist Church, they'll say, oh, I, I know about your church. And first of all, I think, thank God for a good testimony. Our, our motto, in our, I don't have any of our church tracks on me. The, the motto of our church is not just another Baptist church. 
Because when we went to start our church 40 plus years ago, I stopped at the uh, Commerce Building to see what's going on in town and stuff like that. And the lady behind the counter was saying, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. I'm here to start a church. Oh, what kind of church? A Baptist church. She goes, why do you want to start just another Baptist church? I said, because it ain't going to be just another Baptist church. So that's been our motto, not just another Baptist church. I'm thinking about just making it real short, call it the old Baptist church, because that's what people say. Oh, you go to that church. Oh. I this guy one day, he invited him to church. He goes, oh, I know what you're pastor. I know you're pastor. <laughs> you do. He goes, yeah, I know him. So I take the track out. It's got my picture on it, opened up, hold up my little fat face. I go, that dude right there. Yep, know him well. Just had lunch with him the other day. You did? Good preacher? He goes, ah, he's okay. I go, I don't like him. I only go there because, you know, my wife makes me go. That's all the reason I go. <laughs> you you waiting for an add a boy? An add a girl? Come on. You have to deal with the serpent and what he does, how he does things, the way he does things. And rather than sit around and examine what the devil's up to, why don't you just realize something? You try to do what God wants you to do, the devil's going to come after that. And if he doesn't, I just think there's something wrong. Now, I was on the platform the other day, and the choir sang, and the spirit was great in the service, and associate pastor standing there. He goes, he's over. He goes, ah, oh, preacher. He goes, the spirit's good in the service today. I go, yeah, I'll take care of that. We'll fix it. I'm brushing my teeth one morning. Whoever came up with two sinks in the master bathroom is brilliant. So that lady gets her sink. You get your sink. Of course, all you got is a sink. Everything else is covered covered with more stuff than it takes to paint a semi-truck. I mean, a covered. And I keep pushing it over. Can I have a spot for a toothbrush? Could I just get a, like a tooth? I got the comb in the drawer. Can I just have a spot for a toothbrush? And then that woman squeezes the tube at the top. Huh? What kind of life is that? I'm such a babe. What are you doing here? Come on. What's wrong with America? Tube squeezers at the top. That's what's wrong with America. So then what does she do? She starts squeezing in the middle. I said, that's compromise. You squeeze it from the bottom, woman, the bottom of the cotton picking tube. Every morning for 47 and a half cotton picking years, I've been squeezing the tube at the bottom because she squeezes the tube at the top. What's going on about that in the church the other day? People ask to sign Bibles, and this lady goes, I'm with you, Brother Johnson. I'm a bottom squeezer. I said, say tube, lady. Say tube. Say tube. Toothpaste, tube. Please say tube. Articulate properly, would you, people? Because it just ha- it just happens. So if God's going to use you, you're going to have to get past the serpent. Okay, go to number two. Look at verse six and seven. Now, I want you to notice in this curing of the leprosy principle. Would you look at it? And the Lord said furthermore, now watch this, put thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, it was hand was leprous as snow. He, God said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand in the bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Leprosy. Going out of circles, the devil said leprosy. Well, that's that's sin. Oh, but wait a minute, look at it. It's the sin of the hand, what you do, and the heart, what you keep, the bosom. And notice he said you put your hand in here, take it out, that's your sin problem. But it starts here. said, now watch, put that back in there and take it out and it's restored as other flesh. Why do we think God is going to use dirty vessels? He doesn't get any imperfect ones. He doesn't get a perfect vessel. He'll never get a perfect vessel, but he wants a clean one. Remember that when Elisha was asked about that water in Jericho, how the water was no good. And he said, he said to the people, get me a, get me a cruise, not Tom Cruise, get me a cruise and, and fill it with salt and take it over to the, up to that moment, I thought, well, I'm just trying to help the worldly ones out there this morning, that is, I don't know what that is, I thought it was a ship, but anyway, so you take that, you take that vessel, and you fill it with salt, and, but he said, you give me an empty vessel, 
inflate, not fill themselves. They put salt in it. They take it to the fountain of the water, pour it there at the fountain where it started. And you pour the salt in there, and then the waters are healed from this place forward. Why do we think God's going to use a dirty vessel? We want, we want to bring all the carnality and fleshliness of our living to what God wants us to do, and they wonder why God's not in on this thing. Because why? We grieve the Holy Spirit. We quenched his working. And so God's willing. God can't do anything with that. We've got to get it cleaned up. And look at me carefully. And, and understand something, dear people. If you get the hand right but not the heart, the heart, it's not going to last. And if you get the heart right but you let things go on with your life, then that's not going to work. You've got to take care of both issues. You've got to take care of what you do and you've got to take care of the way you're thinking. You've got to get rid of the stinking thinking. And you've got to get your heart, your mind, your life right. Search me, oh God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. We get that heart right. That's why every day, every day of your life, you got to get your heart, your mind right. Every day. Amen. That all the outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Amen. Now, so question, so which, which is more important, the internal of the Christian life or the external? Which one, church, which one? Both of them. See, the truth of the matter is we're getting imbalance on both these things. We got some people, all they care about is how it looks, the way it appears, what they do. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, it doesn't really matter whether I got a bunch of bitterness and anger and hostility and hatred and lust and all that junk in my heart. No, I'm sorry, but that doesn't work. But on the other hand, people say, well, as long as your heart's right, that's the important thing. As long as your heart's right, what you're really doing isn't important. Where do we get that from? Didn't get that from the Bible. Got that bunch of neos who said all that matters is what goes on in your heart because it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter where you go. doesn't matter what you do. That's long as your heart is right. Well, I got news for you. If you don't get both of them right, neither one of them is going to be right. You got to have both of them right. So then how about this? How about every day of our lives we start out with a good old-fashioned examination of the Holy Spirit of God upon our hearts and our lives. God, look at me. Amen. You know when something's not right with you. Don't you know that? If you've ever been right with God, you know what it is to not be right with God. There are days I wake up and I say, Lord, if somebody doesn't have major medical, they better not mess with me today. I ain't even got out of bed yet. You ever wake up with a bad attitude? Huh? My wife said, I hate it when I wake up grumpy, but I have to get him out of bed. But that's not the issue. I mean, you ever just wake up and think, man, you ever do that, preacher? You ever just walking down the aisle of the store, some poor soul bent over to pick up a sack of beans, you just want to kick him where it counts just because he's there? Yes, you do too. Don't look at me like that, you Pharisee. <laughs> There's some people who need killing. They do. Now, look, look, I, I, whether you're on immigration, where you are on this thing or not, I'm from California. <laughs> Believe me, we got issues. The truth of the matter is, I wish somebody would teach these folks where the gas pedal is on the car. Amen. Seriously, brother here from Kentucky, he was making fun of him because he drives slow. I've been in Ohio, what, five times now? You people are idiots. You actually wait on a car to turn. Bro, brother Ryan, bro, Ryan and Ryan, the law firm of Ryan and Ryan, picked pick me up at the, their brothers from another mother. They picked me up at the airport. I'm over there in the car. Come on, son. Let's go. Here we go. And using turn signals. What kind of legalists you guys got around here? Turns, California turn signal just means shoot me, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. That's all that means. I can't, I can't believe it. And why is it when I, I, I get up in the morning, I get the Holy Ghost all over me, read my Bible, the Spirit of God's working, the birds are singing, Jesus is real, heaven is close, it's wonderful. And before I can get to the end of the street, somebody with a, they've got nowhere to go and they're no hurry to get there, and they get in front of me, huh? Would God have had a laser guided rocket propelled grenade launcher in my car where I could just push the button, draw right in the back seat, and shoot in the back seat and go by shaking my fist at the burning wreckage because the stupid idiot got in front of me and won't get out of the way. <laughs> then you go to Walmart, 20 items or less, and who's some fool standing there with food stamps and got two baskets full of stuff. Can't even read that. Can read the mailbox to get the food stamps, but can't read the sign. says 20 items or less. Sometimes I have a bad attitude. Shocking. Shocking. So I'm at the sink one morning brushing my teeth. My wife's getting ready. But I'm singing, having a wonderful Sunday morning, getting ready to go to church. She looks at me and she goes, you're going to make me my dad this morning. 
said, yeah, and I'm already enjoying it. I ain't even got there yet. <laughs> I think I'm going to kill everybody in that room today, honey. <laughs> they always taught us, never pick on one person when you're preaching. I get the whole room, man. It's not that People come up to you, I think you were preaching at me. Yeah, it was you, as a matter of fact. I'm thinking, but next, tonight I come back, I got two more points for you if you want it. Yeah, there's times when... <laughs> Sure, you don't want to kiss from the teacher. Be positive now. 
starting to cry. Now, look at me. This is California. Don't do that. Man teaching. Okay. It's accepted in society. It's still perversion. But anyway. So I go, okay, fine. So I reached in my pocket, pulled out a Hershey kiss, unwrapped it, popped it in my mouth. I said, I'll eat them all myself. Oh, yeah, I want one, I want one. Attention getter. Had nothing to do with the lesson. So <laughs> I did it every Sunday. So these kids would bring their little buddies. All right, guys, you ready to go. Are we get a kiss today, teacher? Yep, everybody gets a kiss. There's one kid going, I want one. Don't make me kiss that guy. I want to kiss that guy. No, you want one. No, I don't want one. Yeah, you do. You want one, kid. Come on, son. He's buddy. Come on, man. Get, get a kiss. I don't want a kiss. I don't want a kiss. I want to go home. <laughs> the worst one was Sunday's day. Christmas came around, and I was teaching on Jesus, the baby in Bethlehem. Somehow I got on Santa and the reindeer and Rudolph, and I started nailing it. Holy Ghost got on me about Santa and stinking Rudolph the Red Nose, stinking reindeer. I turned to the boy, watch this boy, look at this, Santa, right? Santa, change the letters, Satan. That's right, he's Satan. Satan's claws dragging you down the hell. Rudolph the Red Nose reindeer, Antichrist. I had a it was so almost had like a Larkin chart drawn up there with this whole thing. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Sunday evening, come back from church. The pastor said, Brother Josh, come in my office for a minute, would you please? These old boys sitting there going, what? He said, my phone's run all day long. I got kids at home crying about something about Satan taking them to hell. What did you do in that class? It was about Bethlehem in the manger, Brother Johnson. He said, I'm sorry, preach the Holy Ghost got on me. I couldn't help myself. I... <laughs> later I come across those boys who are adults and they would say I still remember the kids brother Johnson I said they curse these kids they curse these kids <laughs> why do you think if God wants you to do something he isn't going to help you to do it he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ I think some of that stuff where we think we're being humble and I'm humble and proud of it but the truth is we, we get that attitude of well, I'm just not sure I'm, I'm capable for doing something like that. Well, I appreciate the humility, but let's talk about this. You mean to tell me your church needs something done? God needs you to do something, and you mean to tell me you, you, you don't really think you can handle that? I'm more concerned about people who are overqualified. Well, I happen to have this ministry. They come to your church, you know. I happen to have this ministry for 22 years of teaching redheaded, buck-toothed, five-foot-good people. And I'd like to know if you have a redheaded, five-foot-two, buck-toothed person ministry in your church. And I go, nope. But we need help in the nursery. Would you like to help us in our nursery? Get your elbows in that peanut butter and them diapers in there. And I mean, it's about, well, that's not really what my calling happens to be. No, no one goes, yeah, yeah, no, man, that guy. The person who feels unqualified, you can bring them up. The person who's overqualified, there's not much you can do with those kind of people. No, no, I'm not overqualified. I'm way underqualified. Absolutely no question about it. Have no, the truth of the matter is I stand there sometimes on a Sunday. I look out the auditorium and the crowd, and I think to myself, what am I doing here? I can't believe I get to do this, and I can't believe what I'm about to do to these people. But <laughs> I just I can't. times you have to read in the Bible, people, Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Now, meek doesn't mean weak. It just means he felt like, you know, I, I don't know. God is going to have to really kind of wrench his arm to get him to do something. So he tells him to pour out the blood. Well, it's a symbol of dependence and trust, but it's also a symbol of surrender. When you pour something out, you turn loose of it. It's not yours anymore. We must learn to lose ourselves in what we do. We must learn to present ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. We must be willing to surrender enough. See, I don't really think the obstacle is whether or not we're qualified. For a lot of Christians, it's whether or not we want to take the time. Prepare a lesson, get on a bus, work a bus route, to take the time. To work in a nursery, for instance. See, I, I'm with, I believe every preacher's wife should get to go to heaven without the need of salvation. 
And that goes for nursery directors and nursing workers. They, they should get a free pass. Seriously. I know churches, I don't know if y'all have it out here, the other churches out there, they have the husband and the wife work in the nursery. Uh, uh, no, no, no. No. First of all, that's creepy. Secondly, it's creepy. Thirdly, what kind of guy wants to go and work in a nursery? You say, oh, it's beneath you. Oh, no, man, it's way past my great pay grade. <laughs> my, my kid, you, know, you're, you're kid, you got grandkids, right? Do your, your grown children ever look at you and say, well, Dad, I don't know about you watching the kids today. You know, like an overnighter. Uh, I don't know. So, did you make it to adult life? Did you make it to adult life? I can watch the kid. Okay, it's not a problem. I can watch several kids. I got two rolls of duct tape and a roll of Gorilla Tape. We got it. We can handle this. Except for my two-year-old and three-year-old granddaughters that are adopted girls. And uh, they're, they're so sweet. But they, they, I, can't ha- I can't handle them. I can make them behave. But they, 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 they're, their L's are Y's. So Gramps, turn off the yike. The yike. I'm going to go out and play on the, on the yawn. They got this song. They love this song. Don't call me lucky, call me blessed. They love that song. They sing it a lot. So they'll be singing it. Don't call me yucky, call me blessed. And I said, no, baby, no, baby, it's it's lucky. They said, uh-huh. I said, no, it's not yucky, it's lucky. Uh-huh. Okay, say it with grants. L, 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 lucky. And they go, L, 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 yucky. So then I figure, okay, I'll sing it with them. No, 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 call me yucky. No, Gramps. It's not yucky, it's yucky. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, you honorary doctors preached the Bible 45 years. Hey, you're faculty. I just got outsmarted by a two-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> I have to sing it right, and they sing it the way they sing it. That's just how it is. Charlotte, the three-year-old, she has a super sense of smell. Kind of like my wife. My wife has this like superhuman sense of smelling and hearing. Her hearing is such she hears things I never said. That's what's incredible to me. <laughs> but Charlotte will pick up on something, and she'll she we'll be driving down the road in the car. She's in her car seat. You know, now you have to strap a kid in a car seat like it's a NASCAR driver. I remember the day when you just sat in the front seat, held on, popped open the glove box, and held on with your head up on the dash, watching the cars go by. That's why so many kids had no front teeth, but. My people invented airbags and never got credit for it. My Aunt Patsy was a, what do you call my, my big woman. She was as tall laying down as she was standing up. My Aunt Patsy was a big woman. And when she put her arm up, she had all that extra Patsy hanging down. And we'd be in the front seat of the car. She'd be driving along. She'd hit that brake. She'd fling her arm out like that. And you'd hit that. Hit that. Some Japanese dude walked by and goes, airbags. We never got credit for that. So, so Charlotte, three-year-old, driving down the road, she goes, Gramps, what's that smell? I go, I don't smell anything. So one day, I'm driving around, I smell the first. I go, hey, Charlotte, what's that smell? She goes, it ain't me. this cure the leprosy thing. When was the last time you had an honest search with God and 
certain standard. I know when something's not right. I know when it ain't me. And the main reason I know is because I know when it's right. Spurgeon was walking across the street in London, and this London 1800s across the street was about to their life in the years. And he was walking with a man from his church, and they were walking across from one corner to the other and about midway in the street. This man's jockeying carriages and horses and people and in the midst of the other side of the street he turns around and Spurgeon is standing in the middle of the street with his hat off and his head down cars running over people's head wagons going past him pastor of the largest church in the world sermons on the front page of every major newspaper in the world and this guy's standing in horror watching Spurgeon standing there with his head down for a moment put his hat back on and cross the street the man said pastor I appreciate your desire for prayer but please the street a cloud came to me in my life and I knew something wasn't right and I refused to take another step until I did yours. See, we live with it. The hand and the heart is more important to us. Father, help us this day just to be people who 